0: Well, as we come to God's Word this evening, we have two passages. The first is John chapter 11. I'm going to be reading a selection of verses from John chapter 11. And the second is John chapter 20 from verse 1 to 10 and from verse 30 to 31. After I read, I will say these words. This is the Word of the Lord. And you will say, wonderful. Let's get to it. John chapter 11 from verse 1. A man named Lazarus was sick. He lived in Bethany with his sisters Mary and Martha. This is the Mary who later poured the expensive perfume on the Lord's feet and wiped them with her hair. Her brother Lazarus was sick. So the two sisters sent a message to Jesus telling him, your dear friend Lazarus is very sick. But when Jesus heard about it, he said, Lazarus' sickness will not end in death. No, it happened for the glory of God so that the Son of God will receive glory from this. So although Jesus loved Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, He stayed where he was for the next two days. Finally, he said to his disciples, let's get back to Judea. Verse 21, Jesus now has arrived at Judea and Martha speaks to him. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus told her, your brother will rise again. Yes, Martha said, he will rise when everyone else rises at the last day. Jesus told her, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never, ever die. Do you believe this, Martha? And from verse 34, where have you put him? Jesus asked the crowd. They told him, Lord, come and see. Then Jesus went. The people who were standing nearby said, see how much he loved him. But some said, this man healed a blind man. Couldn't he have kept Lazarus from dying? Jesus was still angry, still deeply moved as he arrived at the tomb. A cave with a stone rolled across its entrance. Roll the stone aside, Jesus told them. But Martha, the dead man's sister, protested, Lord, he has been dead for four days. The smell will be terrible. Jesus responded, didn't I tell you that you would see God's glory if you believe? So they rolled the stone aside. Then Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, thank you for hearing me. You always hear me, but I said it out loud for the sake of all these people standing here so that they will believe you sent me. Then Jesus shouted, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and feet bound in grave clothes, his face wrapped in a headcloth. Jesus told them, unwrap him and let him go. John chapter 20 from verse 1 to 10. Early on Sunday morning, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. She ran and found Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. She said, They have taken the Lord's body out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. Peter and the other disciple started out for the tomb. They were both running, but the other disciple outran Peter. And reached the tomb first. He stooped and looked in and saw the linen wrappings lying there but didn't go in. Then Simon Peter arrived and went inside. He saw the cloth that had covered Jesus' head was folded up and lying apart from the other wrappings. Then the disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in and he saw and believed. For until then they still hadn't understood the scriptures that said Jesus must rise from the dead. Then they went home. And finally, verse 30, the disciples saw Jesus do many other miraculous signs in addition to the ones recorded in this book. But these are written so that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you will have life by the power of his name. This is the word of the Lord. Let's join together for a word of prayer. King Jesus, we give you praise that on this Resurrection Sunday, we don't just talk about you, but we get to talk to you. Jesus, thank you that you are present with us by your spirit. We praise you for the finished work of the cross. And we thank you for the ways in which that work will become more real to us as we submit to your word this evening. We pray that you would bring us afresh to the life that is uniquely to be found in you. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Now a quick few points on this passage. The first of the passages, John 11. We find Mary and Martha in a scene of total panic, utter confusion, total chaos. Their brother is on the verge of dying. And in this moment, They are faced with the prospect not just of grieving the brother that they love. In this moment, their very hope for the future is on the line. You see, for these women to have their brother was a lifeline to them in their society. This is not just a question of keeping their family unit nice and happy together. Lazarus' presence speaks something of the life that these women are able to have. They live in a deeply patriarchal society. The testimony of women isn't taken for much. Women don't have purchasing rights in the way that men do. They don't have rights of property in the way that men do. Their brother Lazarus to them is a deep companion, a dear companion in the present, but he is also signifying their hope and their security for the future. And as we come to John chapter 11, their hope and security for the future is on the line. They are watching the worst thing that could happen unfold before their eyes. Is that familiar to anyone here? Has there ever been a time that you have seen the worst thing that could happen happening before your eyes? Perhaps this is something that you hadn't anticipated at all that comes and punches you in the gut out of nowhere, leaves you winded, and you are struggling to grapple with the reality that you now find yourself in. Or perhaps it's a fear that you have anticipated for a long time. It comes to you again and again and again and again. And then finally, you wake up one day and you find yourself in that as reality. You hope that it's a dream, that this fear will be suspended over you, but not your reality in this day. And yet you blink and you blink and you blink and you find out this is not a dream. This is not a drill. This is your life right now. That's the sort of moment that Mary and Martha find themselves in. And rightly, they call out to Jesus. If you are a Christian, if you've been around the church any amount of time, you know that they're doing things the right way. They are faced with a situation that is beyond them and they turn to Jesus for help. And rather bizarrely, Jesus doesn't run to their aid as they expect. Jesus stays put where he is for another two days. And what was unfolding as the worst thing possibly happening becomes a definitive end to the story. Lazarus dies. It is not just that they are watching the worst thing that could happen potentially unfold. It has happened. It is past tense and Jesus is nowhere to be found. Anyone in this room find themselves in a situation when the worst thing is happening and it seems like Jesus is nowhere to be found. If you can relate with that, you can relate with Mary and Martha in this story. And yet Jesus eventually goes to them. He eventually makes the journey to Bethany. And when they see him, They are delighted that he is there, but they're also rightly perturbed, perplexed, and angry. Jesus, if you had been here, this would not have happened. And yet these sisters decide in their hearts that where Jesus is, there still is some hope. And they're inviting him in to see what he can do. And the question is, what is Jesus going to do in this situation? He didn't come when they wanted him, but he is now there. He's one who has healed the sick time and time again. What good can Jesus bring forth of their brother in the tomb? These sisters long with all their hearts to see their family reconciled, to see their brother rise from the dead and for the life that they have envisaged, for the life that they hope for, to be called out from the place of death and darkness and to again be instituted for them to live. That is where we find Mary and Martha in John chapter 11. And the task before Jesus is whether or not he can put their family unit back together. But those who are familiar with the person of Jesus know that that's not the only story that he is playing into in this moment. This is the story that's in the foreground for us as we come to John chapter 11. But there is a bigger cosmic story in the background. And Jesus is also called on to play a role there. Now we are in John's gospel this Resurrection Sunday and the different gospels have different flavors. Each of the gospels was written by a different writer to slightly different audiences and they have key points that they are trying to draw out. In Matthew the focus of Matthew's writer is that Jesus is the Messiah, the King of the Jews, the fulfillment of Israel's hope and expectation. In Mark the focus is that Jesus is the suffering servant, that the one that we in In Isaiah 53, is the one that we encounter through the pages of Mark's gospel. For Luke, the focus is that Jesus is the Son of Man, that he comes in fulfillment of Old Testament prophecies, as was foreseen by Daniel the prophet. Jesus is the Son of Man. But John's focus is that Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is the Son of God. And this puts on our radar that God has a family. Mary and Martha have a family that they're seeking to be reconciled. But the bigger cosmic truth that Jesus is present in this story points to is that God has a family and he is seeking the reconciliation of his family. Now for those who are not familiar with the biblical story, you are now invited to a whistle-stop tour of the key moments in the Bible's story. The Bible starts with this sentence, in the beginning, God. This is the hook that all of reality rests on, the nature and the existence of God. And as the story of the Bible unfolds, we come to discover what exactly the nature and the person of this God is. One of his first acts in the book of Genesis chapter one is to create the world, is to speak the world into being. And in that place, he gives humanity a particular role. He sets humanity within creation, but he also sets humanity above creation to know the uniqueness of relationship with him and to show him forth to the world around them. Things go terribly wrong. And this is manifested in a number of different ways across the biblical story. But a key idea that is captured, once things go wrong, family life is turned on its head. We see the first couple turn on each other in acrimony and in guilt sharing from the moment that sin enters the picture. But we also see this take a significant toll on family life. We see stories of siblings turned on them We see stories of people going after life, seeking life, but as they pursue life, they get further and further from what is true life because the world is off its course. And a story that Jesus himself uses to give language to the human condition, to the reality that we find ourselves in from that moment where humanity turns against God in rebellion is the story of the prodigal son. The story of the prodigal son is found in the book of Luke. And in that book, there is a son who perceives that his father is the biggest problem in his life. His father is the obstacle to his enjoyment. His father is the obstacle to the life that he longs for. And so in that parable, we see this son basically look his father in the eye and tell him that you are better to me dead than alive. I wish that you would die so that I could have my inheritance. Since you're not hurrying up and dying, since you have too many of the right vitamins in your system, how about you just quicken this for both of us? Give me my inheritance now and let me do my thing. And so the son thinks that he has caught onto life. He's caught onto freedom. He leaves with this wealth from his father's house and he spends that money like there is no tomorrow. That's the meaning of the word prodigal. It's to be excessively extravagant as though there is nothing else to live for. He lives in that moment for every pleasure that can satisfy him. And he says, Yolo. We'll deal with tomorrow when we get there, but for now we're gonna party like there is no tomorrow. And yet the reality that he finds as he goes further and further into the life that he wants is that he's moving further and further from the life that he was made for. And life switches up on him real quick. And while he had spent his money like there was no tomorrow, tomorrow held a famine that he had no resources to come up to he didn't have anything left in the tank to face the unexpected circumstances that life threw his way and he was desperately in need of a way home and yet he makes his way home and his father gladly receives him because every moment that he's gone there is a longing in the heart of his father to be reconciled to him His father gladly receives him and his brother hates his guts. His brother says, I'm the one who's done everything that I should have done. You've gone in the opposite direction of what was supposed to be. I have gone faithfully along the path of what was to be. And yet here you are getting celebrated and here I am paying for him. Because the only inheritance that is left is the inheritance that belongs to the elder son. Every penny that's being spent on this joke of a child was money that rightly belonged to this elder son. And he sees it and he is seething. Jesus tells this story to a crowd of people and the point of the story isn't just to lull them to sleep, to give them a nice story, to help them forget the worries of the day and to bring them into this cool, calm reverie so they can have great dreams and face a beautiful day the next day. No, he tells them this story to give them the diagnosis of their condition. That you and I, all humanity, live in the reality of being estranged from God. That in our best attempts to go after the life that we think we want, we are moving further and further from the life that we were truly made for. And that the only way, the only way for this story to turn around is for us to make a way home. But how do you get home? What makes it possible to be at home? This is the task that faces Jesus. Unlike the elder brother in the story of the prodigal, it is on Jesus, the son of God, to make it possible for lost humanity, lost sons and daughters to make it home. He's the one who has done everything right. And yet the question remains, will he happily take on this task of reconciling us to his father? father. We don't deserve it. It's going to need to come out of his pocket, out of his very life to make it possible for us to go home. Will Jesus do what is needed in this moment to reconcile Mary and Martha and Lazarus? Will Jesus do what is needed to reconcile lost humanity back to God as the son of God? There is the tragedy that is playing out in the foreground and there is this wider tragedy that forms the background to this moment and we are invited to see what Jesus does. And so we turn again to John chapter 11 to see what Jesus does. Jesus arrives on the scene. The very worst thing that could happen has happened to Mary and Martha. And he says to Martha, in that place of despair, in that place of hope being dead and buried, he says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even though they die. And the one who lives by believing in me will never ever die. But the passage doesn't just stop there. In this moment, Jesus proclaims to Mary and Martha that he is bigger than the very worst circumstance they could imagine befalling them. He looks at that thing, that pain, that in this moment brings them to sorrow and despair, and he says, I am the one who is bigger than the death of your brother. I am the one who provides security that is real security. What you're looking for is found in me. And when Jesus says this, Martha's response is basically, cool story bro. Martha's response is, yes, I understand that what you're saying is theologically right. And one day we will see the fullness of these things. Doesn't particularly translate to the fact that right now I'm bawling my eyes out because my brother is dead and my hope for my future has sunk. But thank you so much for stopping by, Jesus. Martha meets Jesus in this moment of deep pain and it seems like he's just going on a theological expose, saying nice sentences that have no power attached to them. The story doesn't stop there. Because as jolted you into a a moment ago, as I read it, Jesus looks the death of Lazarus in the face. And he says, I am the resurrection and the life. Lazarus, come out. And in that moment, when Jesus brings Lazarus to life, he says to Mary and Martha, I am bigger than your very worst fears being realized. I am the one who makes it possible for you not to live in this world, wondering when tragedy will befall you, wondering when the thing might be lurking around the corner that's gonna take you out, that's gonna turn life on its head. You were afraid of the worst thing happening. Now it has actually happened. And I tell you that I am bigger than your fears. Why? Because I am the resurrection and the life. I am the one who is able to bring your family back together. I am the one who is able to restore your hope. Jesus meets them in this place where fear has overthrown them and he deposes fear and says instead, I am the resurrection and the life. But in this moment, Jesus' cure for Mary and Martha, Jesus' cure for Lazarus is also his diagnosis for humanity. In this moment of Jesus resurrecting, Jesus shows us that while we may think in the present that our greatest problem is uh, the diagnosis that we have received, or for me, my heating bill, or the fact that we don't have the prospects that we long for. We don't have the career that we long for. We face a number of concerns and fears in the day to day, and they are valid, but they are not the ultimate concern for humanity. They are not the ultimate ill that is befalling us. Our ultimate ill is that we are each, by default, spiritually dead. And in this moment, Jesus doesn't just come to make Mary and Martha happy. He doesn't even just come to turn their fears upside down. He comes to diagnose the problem of spiritual death and to spiritual death. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. You have fears that you have acknowledged and they are overwhelming you, but you also have a deeper condition that isn't to the fore of your mind. But this is the real problem in play in your humanity, your estrangement from God. And to that problem of death, Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. I didn't just come to make your circumstances better. I didn't just come to make bad people good. I came to call the dead to life. And in this moment of resurrection, Mary and Martha get their brother back. Can you imagine their shock and awe at Lazarus coming forth? Lazarus who they swore they would never see again at least until the last day and yet on this day the last day is breaking into the present day and their brother is back. Imagine the all. In this moment their greatest fears are turned on their heads but there is another resurrection and it's the resurrection of Jesus. And in the moment of Lazarus' resurrection, while the fears of Mary and Martha are turned on their heads, in the moment of Jesus' resurrection, the greatest hopes of the God of heaven are realized. Because in his life, God has sent his son Jesus on a mission of reconciliation, on a mission of rescue. And the longing in the heart of God the Father is that lost ones, prodigal ones, ones who have wasted his grace, ones who have not taken seriously his mercy, ones who have made wrong decision after wrong decision after wrong decision, ones who in seeking the fullness of life have gone deep. Deeper and deeper into debt and into death. The longing in the heart of God is that this Son might be able to bring these lost ones back. And again, on resurrection morning, Jesus looks to the fears that overwhelm us, but also to the sin and the death that has choked out our true life. And he says, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the one who turns this story on its head. I am the one who makes it possible for lost sons and daughters to come back to God. Jesus sees us in our lostness and he does not begrudge us our condition. In fact, the precondition to know the resurrection life of Jesus is to be dead. It's not a problem to Jesus that you are dead. And it is not a problem to Jesus that you are lost. Rather, Jesus is the one who is able to take those realities that seem to boast the end of your story. And through those realities, Jesus says, your story has only begun. Because Jesus has risen from the dead, new life is possible. We get to be in reconciled relationship with God. This is the truth that we celebrate on a Sunday like today. Death is beaten, fear is overthrown, and new life is available to all. And so we see that in these moments, in the story of Lazarus and in the resurrection story, Jesus brings new life to a particular family, but he also makes possible reconciliation in God's family. Jesus is the resurrection and he is the life. And yet what is the life that Jesus gives? What is the life that Jesus gives? What is the quality of the life? How might we spy out its dimensions? How might we understand what Jesus is pointing at when Jesus says he's the resurrection and the life? Number one, the life that Jesus gives is of an altogether different kind of life to the one that Lazarus had before. You see, in this moment, Jesus doesn't just reverse death. Jesus in its place gives new life. Jesus shares with Lazarus this uh, snippet of his own life, the life that will never end. You see, our deepest problem is not that we are vulnerable to pain, though that for us is the pressing problem, the vulnerability that we face before life circumstances, how an unexpected bit of news can take us out the game, how someday our loved ones may die, someday our own health may fail us. Our vulnerability is a problem, but it's not our biggest problem. Our biggest problem is that the life that we think is life isn't life at all. And when we invite Jesus into the story, when we hear a story like this of resurrection life, our go-to can be, while this life is available, Jesus turns circumstances around. And so what Jesus will do is that he will come and make my life better. And if my life doesn't go the way that I want it to go, I can call on Jesus and he can turn it around for me. That is something of the posture of heart that Mary and Martha call out to Jesus with. They want Jesus, Jesus to come and give them their lives back. And what does Jesus do with that? He stays put. Because Jesus isn't here to work on our script and our story for what our life should look like. He is not the heavenly consultant that we can refer to, to get our objects and our aims and our desired outcomes realized. Jesus stays put and he stays put so that in Mary and Martha's circumstances they might see the glory of God. What they're looking for is the reversal of their bad fortune in a moment. What Jesus wants to offer them is the glory of God. Jesus wants to offer them a life that never fades away. And for you and I to receive that life that Jesus is offering, we need to meet him amidst the vulnerability of our circumstances. Sometimes as a follower of Jesus, the worst thing that could happen will happen you will call on Jesus and he won't do what you expect him to do Some of you in this room right now carry that pain and it's not just a distant idea, it's a present reality. You can think of situations in your life when you did the Sunday school thing that you were encouraged to do, call on Jesus and it appears like he doesn't care. He stays put where he is while you are languishing in your circumstances. But the truth of Jesus being the resurrection and the life is that no matter the circumstances that befalls you. No matter how hard things get, no matter how unexpected the tragedy is, Jesus waits and allows them to press into that pain so that they can know that he is bigger than the worst thing happening. And sometimes in our lives, we will have a breakthrough, turnaround story of our greatest fear being turned on its head. In other times, we will know the presence of Jesus with us, present to us, weak, with us in the difficulty of life circumstances but the glorious truth that all of this is wrapped up in is that if you do life by believing in Jesus and if the life that you have is the one that comes from him then no matter the difficulty no matter the fear that seems to be overwhelming you your whole life story will be for the glory of God. Jesus hasn't just come to give you the life that you want. Jesus has come to give you the life that is truly life, the life that is glorious. In these two stories, we see fear overthrown. We see death turned on its head. We see Jesus do that which seems utterly and completely impossible. And the goal of this is the glory of God. The goal of this is sons and daughters brought back into right relationship with the Father. The goal of this is that by believing in Him, we would have life by the power of His name. There is power in the name of Jesus to change our circumstances. But there is also power in Jesus to change us amidst our circumstances. And something of coming to know Jesus as the resurrection and the life involves encountering him in the death of your dream. In the death of your um, desired reality. And yet encountering his resurrection life in the midst of it. Sometimes resurrection life involves an adjustment of the life that we long for. But best believe it, this story is still one where the impossible becomes possible. And the desire in the heart of Jesus in this story with. Lazarus, Mary, and Martha, and in his resurrection life, is to disable the power of fear over your life. To say that for you, even though in this world as you continue to live in it, you are still vulnerable to circumstances that are beyond your control. The trajectory of your life is an eternal sunrise. In the present, we live from sunrise to sunset. And even on our happiest days, we know that there is a shadow lurking in the corner. The sun will set. But Jesus is resurrected on a Sunday morning so that those who believe in him will know that their future, their eternal destiny is an eternal Sunday morning. The sun will never set on hope for one who puts their trust in Jesus. For one who puts their trust in Jesus, impossible is nothing. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Because Jesus lives, you can live without fear of the future. Because Jesus looks the worst thing possible in the eye and says he is bigger than in. Because Jesus lives, you might not get the life that you want, but you will get the life that you were made for as you enjoy reconciled relationship with God. And because Jesus lives, impossible is nothing. Jesus says to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. And yet he poses the question to her, do you believe this and that's the question I'd like to pose to you